You expect me to believe Lionel Grant, a right-wing racist who's made a career of hating illegals, underwrites a contract with Delton to stop the drug trade, but not illegals, she went on. And then someone else, some rogue group, impersonates you and exterminates them. It's the truth. She wasn't buying it. Why did $3 million make its way to you and your men? Apparently, he'd had enough of being challenged. No more. Not now. Georgia tried a different tactic. Is Lionel Grant as crazy as they say? No. No, he's not, or no, you're not going to- Stop, he bellowed. This conversation is over. Georgia exploded. No, goddammit, it's not. I've come over a thousand miles to figure this out. Risked my life, more than once. She held up her cast. Someone tampered with my brakes in Chicago. That's how this happened. Now someone's shooting through my hotel room. And you've got me pinned like a bug under a microscope. Until I know what's going on, this fucking conversation is definitely not over. No more. He raised his hands in the air and advanced toward her. Startled, she stepped back, but he kept coming. She braced herself. Less than a foot away, he suddenly stopped, as if he'd just become aware of his behavior and was surprised by the depth of his rage. He took a breath and aimed a finger at her. Go dry off. He turned away, opened the cabinet under the sink, and pulled out a bottle of bourbon. He looked around for a glass, found one, and poured a few fingers full. Georgia stood her ground. I need to know why Delton sent you a million dollars. Pena tossed back the bourbon. He looked like he was going to start talking when his cell phone trilled. He fished it out of his pocket. Yeah, he paused. You got the package? Good, keep it safe. Silence. I'm still working on it. It'll be wrapped up soon. Okay. He disconnected and glared at Georgia, as if daring her to ask him about it. She did. What package? He didn't reply. Look, she started over, trying to suppress her own anger, trying to be reasonable. I'm grateful you decided not to kill me, for the moment. But this cat and mouse shit, this drama, has to stop. I won't be played. Talk to me straight. He tossed back more booze. Then, did you ever think I might be trying to protect your ass? Which happens to be quite fine looking, by the way. But Georgia was in no mood for come-ons. Fuck you, Pena. I can handle my ass myself, she snapped. Either you talk to me now or, or what? I'll leave, head back into town. His eyes flashed. You won't get far. You want to stop me? You'll have to shoot me in the back. She threw the towel down. He shrugged, a wry smile on his face. Georgia grabbed her shoes and put them on, caked mud and all. Then she pulled open the door, half expecting a slew of bullets to mow her down. 
nothing happened. She exited the cabin. The wind shoved her across the clearing. Jagged forks of lightning sizzled the sky. The rain was now sheeting sideways. The storm had grown fiercer. There was no way she could hike 10 yards, much less the 10 miles she guessed they'd driven. She flattened herself against the side of the cabin, but there were no eaves or overhangs to protect her. She crept back to the window, now steamy with condensation, and peeked in. Pena was at the table refilling his glass. She let out a breath, opened the door, and skulked back inside. She was sopping wet, humiliated, and angry. She refused to look at him. She watched puddles form at her feet instead. He didn't say anything. Finally, she glanced up. His eyes held the same wry look as before. Amusement or arrogance? He rose and went into the other room. She heard drawers slide open. He came back out carrying dry clothes and dropped them on the floor next to her. Georgia picked them up and walked into the room from which he'd come. Barely furnished, it had a double bed, a three-drawer chest, side table, and lamp. A small window was cut high into the wall. She tossed the clothes on the mattress, kicked off her shoes, and started to take off her jeans. She tried to unfasten the button at her waist, but she was working with only one hand, and her jeans, soaked through, were rigid. After struggling unsuccessfully with the button, she gave up. She managed to shrug off her blazer and tried to lift her t-shirt over her head. But it too was waterlogged and stuck to her skin. When she tried to use the casted arm to take off the t-shirt, she yelped in pain. It had been less than a week since her wrist was broken. She struggled a few more seconds, then collapsed on the bed. It was all getting to her. The accident, the past four days in Stevens, the lack of progress, the shots through the window. She couldn't remember ever feeling this alone, this isolated. She covered her eyes with her hand, but refused to cry. She wouldn't give him the satisfaction. She'd lost track of time when she felt his presence behind her. How had he snuck into the room so silently? Was this the moment he'd decided to kill her? She waited for him to wrap his hands around her neck and snap it. He'd know how. She should move out of range, put up a semblance of a fight. But she was too tired. He rolled his fingertips over her neck. A chill shot through her. Was this it? Then his palms settled on her shoulders, and he started to knead them. Tender at first, then firm. She bowed her head and gave him more of her neck. If this was the prelude to death, maybe it wasn't so bad. Suddenly, he stopped. She arched her back, fearing the worst. A moment later, a gentle massage moved down her good arm. He was drying her with the towel. His movements were languid and soft. She felt hot and cold at the same time. When his hands reached the cast on the other arm, he slid the towel carefully over the plaster. The stroking stopped. You should put on dry clothes, 
His voice was husky. She tried to speak, but her voice cracked. Stand up, he whispered. Wordlessly, she obeyed. Part of her was surprised by how submissive she was acting. Another part of her was way past that. <laughs>